Welcome to Food Psych, a podcast about intuitive eating, body positivity, and health at every size. I'm your host, Christy Harrison, and I'm a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and certified intuitive eating counselor specializing in weight-inclusive wellness. Join me as I talk with interesting people from all walks of life about their relationships with food. Hey there, welcome to episode 95 of Food Psych. I'm your host, Christy Harrison, and I'm coming at you today from on the road. So apologies if my sound quality is less good than usual. I'm actually coming to you from the mic that I first started the podcast on. And that's really fitting because today is actually the four-year anniversary of when I started making this podcast, if you're listening the day it comes out. So March 13th, 2013 was the day it all began. I started recording and lining up guests, and I think I came up with a name food psych that day as well. So really, the brand was born. The idea was born four years ago. And that is kind of the time that I celebrate rather than the actual launch date when I started putting it out into the world. Because when I started recording episodes is really when my journey with this podcast began and when pretty much the whole direction of my career changed and my life changed as a result. And I have a really special guest celebrating with me who really changed the course of this podcast. It's Katie Dalebout, a fellow podcaster and friend of mine who I made through the podcasting world, really. It's like the first friend that I made who was another podcaster and stayed close with after we recorded our episodes. So we're going to take a trip down memory lane in this episode, share how we both evolved through the process of making our podcasts. She started out with a podcast called The Wellness Wonderland, and her identity, her brand identity has shifted. Her podcast is now called Let It Out with Katie Dalebout, and she'll talk about why she shifted away from wellness being the center of her podcast which, spoiler alert, it has a lot to do with her recovery from disordered eating and discovering health at every size and body positivity. And that's pretty much the direction that my podcast has gone in as well, having started out a little more in the traditional model of nutrition and then moved into a health at every size and body positive direction, really more radical direction than I ever foresaw when I started this podcast four years ago. So I can't wait to share it all with you in just a moment. But first, I want to share a couple great resources for improving your relationship with food. The first is my free quiz to assess if you have a healthy relationship with food, and I'll send you your results via email along with more than a dozen individualized tips to help you make peace with food wherever you may fall on the spectrum right now. Take the quiz and get your results today at christyharrison.com slash quiz. That's christyharrison.com slash quiz. The second resource I want to share is my intuitive eating online course. It's a 13-week program that I created to help you work through all the principles of intuitive eating in depth and really demystify and troubleshoot some of the common areas where people tend to get stuck. I'll show you how to recognize the diet mentality even in its subtle forms and how to start substituting healthy thoughts instead. I'll share my secrets to making food and exercise choices from a place of self-care rather than self-control. I'll teach you to navigate emotional eating and how to stop alternating between restricting and binging. And I'll teach you the principles of health at every size and body acceptance and help you really start to integrate those into your own life. Check out what a few recent participants in the course have had to say. 
I'm so grateful for both the Intuitive Eating Fundamentals course and the Food Psych podcast. The course helped give me a community to stay on track towards a shared goal, which is so, so important. This course was extremely well-designed and well-written. I love the infographics as well as the links to pertinent Food Psych episodes. I also loved how a lot of the concepts around self-compassion and mindfulness reinforce things I'm also working on in therapy and in my life more broadly. I wouldn't change anything about the course. That's from participant with initials MM. And then participant JS says, this course has been so helpful. I've learned so much about how the diet mentality and the food police in my head have led me to restrict foods. I've learned about self-compassion and treating myself kindly, and the resources have been so valuable. The Q&A podcasts in which participants can ask questions and get answers from Christy are so helpful. I no longer feel alone in this journey towards peace with food. That's from participant JS. So if you're ready to join them and many other course participants on this intuitive eating journey, I have an exciting deal for you that I'm running this week only for our four-year anniversary. You can get the intuitive eating online course plus the Food Psych Premium membership, which is a $47 value, all for just $7 more than you'd pay for the course on its own. So it's a package deal of Food Psych Premium, which is gives you access to our first season, our full first season, which is not available anywhere else. So you'll actually get to hear those episodes that I was talking about that I recorded four years ago. Plus, you'll get our 18-episode bonus series, Ask Food Psych, that I did for Food Psych Premium subscribers when I was doing a Patreon campaign about a year ago. So I did 18 episodes where I was answering listener questions about topics ranging from eating disorder recovery and intuitive eating to how to deal with food allergies and the diet mentality and how to use intuitive intuitive eating to navigate and manage diabetes, and lots of other great questions. So these are exclusive Q&As that are only available to premium members, and you can get the Food Psych Premium membership that includes all this great exclusive content for only $7 more when you purchase this package this week only. So head over to christyharrison.com slash four years to get it. That's christyharrison.com slash the number four years. And you can get this great package that includes the intuitive eating online course, plus the Food Psych Premium membership for a special deal to thank you for being a listener and supporter of the podcast. Finally, if you like the podcast and want to help us reach more people, you can leave us a positive rating and review on iTunes. This really helps us out because it helps us rise in the rankings and get the word out about this body positive message to people who really need to hear it. So as we rise up further in the rankings, more people actually discover the podcast just by scrolling through the health category because we've come up really high in the rankings thanks to all of your great reviews. And so people who are just looking for general nutrition and health information can actually stumble upon a health at every size approach and hopefully save themselves from years of misery. So if you want to help pay it forward and help more people find these body positive messages when they need them most, head over to iTunes on your computer or the podcast app on your phone, type in food psych to the search bar, click on the result that comes up under podcasts, and then click on the ratings and reviews tab, and you can leave your rating and review there. I really, really appreciate all the five-star ratings and lovely heartfelt reviews I've gotten where you share how the podcast has touched your life and helped you improve your relationship with food. So please keep them coming. It really helps not only my mental health, but also helps us reach more people and get the word out about health at every size. All right. So now without any further ado, let's go talk to Katie Dale about. 
So I'm so excited to talk to you for this episode because it's the four-year anniversary of when I started recording the podcast. And I always celebrate the anniversary of when I started recording versus when I released it because it's like six months of record. I did six months of recording ahead of releasing it. And that's where a lot of the growth really happened. So it's just amazing to be talking to you for this episode, I think, because in a lot of ways, I feel like you are responsible for the direction the podcast has taken. Like, oh I think gosh. talking to you back in 2014, when we had our first food psych episode was really eye-opening, I guess, because you introduced me to Isabel Fox and Duke. We talked a lot about like body image. And I feel like that's when the message of the podcast just like really clicked into gear. And I was like, okay, this is, this is an ideal food psych episode. And it all started with wow. you. <laughs> Wait, I really didn't know that. I really? really? No, I really didn't know that. That this is like off the cuff because I'm honored. I'm so mm. honored to be here. And that makes me so happy. And, and really is, is really a, you know, big honor, but I feel like I was kind of your focus group because I was such a huge, well, am and was such a big fan of food psych and more importantly, you. And it was so cool to what we were saying before we started recording of like loving internet friendships and how we've been friends for so many years now and how it's grown. And we've gotten to meet in person several times and be friends in person and, you know, mm -hmm. in an internet sort of a way and which has been fantastic. But I had no idea that that was kind of when the direction started to change. Yeah. Yeah. So good. I surprised you. <laughs> I was yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I know. It's, I was reflecting on it and sort of thinking like, what did I, what do I want to do for my four year anniversary episode and what sort of steps has the podcast gone through over time? And I really feel like that was such a pivotal episode because like I had, you know, gotten close to that sort of like the, what we talked about in that episode and, and people can go back and listen to it. I think it's number 34, which is called When Healthy Eating Hurts. And we talked about your recovery from orthorexia or your sort of process with it, because I think you were still kind of in process at the time. Yeah. And we talked about body image. And I think we got into like, a, I actually I should have listened to it before we talked today. But I think we got into like some of the sociological stuff too, and maybe talked about health at every size. Yeah. But it was before my podcast was so hyper focused on that, like the season mm -hmm. I was doing then was just about eating disorder recovery. But it was like our episode just was such a glimpse into what I wanted it to become. And sort of after that, I was like taking steps to make it more and more of what it is today. So I feel like you showed me the way. <laughs> wow. No, that's really, that's really interesting and really cool. And I remember that day, like it was yesterday, it was really hot and I like yeah. didn't know how to use the subway and I like <laughs> found my way to your apartment somehow and like knocked on the door with like my little backpack and I was like, hi, I'm Katie. <laughs> and it's just like so funny to think of that now that you were like, okay, I'm going to have this person I met on the internet come over to my house. <laughs> Like, and you were like, do you want I some know. quinoa? And like, you were so nice. And I was like, do you want a cookie? And we just like sat in chairs in your apartment for like four hours because mm -hmm. we recorded an episode of my podcast and yours at the same time. Oh my God. That's and right. We did back to back. Yeah. It was so long. 
Oh, and God, it was, yeah. It was great. It, it went by fast. But thinking back, it's just so funny that, you know, I'm used to it. I'm used to meeting people on the Internet now and then, mm-hmm. like, just feeling close with them right away and it not being weird. But I think back then it was one of the several of the first ones that I friends I'd met on the Internet that I'd met in real life. So it was like, you know, this kind of surreal experience. And <laughs> I loved your podcast before it changed directions. And, I, you know, I still love it now, of course, and even more so. But those episodes where you would talk to, you know, people in all different fields and entertainers and, you know, people that you knew, people that you didn't know, people of different ages, and just talking to them about their relationship with food. There was no talk of health at every size really back then. There was no talk of Linda Bacon's work or body image really. Like it didn't really come up. It was just so raw and real. And it was just so every, what I really gleaned from Food Psych and why I wanted to connect with you and what it really helped me with in the early days was it gave me this realization. I would just listen over and over again. It really helped me feel less alone because it gave me this, like I said, realization that, wow, food is such a deeply personal thing. And it's almost like money or sex where people get very uncomfortable talking about Mm, it. And people have all these different relationships to it and histories with it. And it's so complicated it, it doesn't have to be, and it isn't for, you know, a slight few people, but, and I think the reason behind it being that way is because of body image and because of the stigma and, and all of those things definitely contributes mm-hmm. to it. But it's also, you know, a way that we connect and commune and share love and emotion. And it's so complicated. And, and I think I didn't really realize that I think until your show, I, I kind of thought, am I the only one that this, my relationship with food is so complicated and, and, you know, tumultuous. And am I the only one that has this tumultuous relationship with food? And I realized that I wasn't, and that made me feel so much less alone. And then by feeling that way, I felt like I could talk about it. And I felt like I could talk about my eating disorder and come out about that. And without food tech, I don't, so it's kind of, you know, what you're saying about the direction of your show. I think the direction of my work also changed because I, I think at that point hadn't written, I definitely hadn't written about my eating disorder on the internet and I hadn't shared it on my podcast and I hadn't really gotten honest with myself even much less in my work or my work I do online about what was actually going on. And through your podcast, I was able to really be like, oh, all right. Yes. I knew I had an eating disorder before, but I'm still in it right now. And I'm still healing and I still have a long way to go, but also that's okay. And also I can talk about this. That's amazing. And I think I was really in it still. And I was, I had been really into Isabel's work and she was the person who really opened the the door for me on body image and health at every size and, you know, weight as a social issue and all of those things. I was really steeped in, you know, how when you first learn that information, you're like, why does everyone not know this yesterday? <laughs> yeah. Like you just want to like scream it from the rooftops. And I was, I had just had my eyes open to that. And so I think when I sat down with you, I was kind of like, Hey, have you heard about this? Have you heard about it? And I, I really, at that time, I think I thought like Isabel was the only person talking about this. Little did I know. And, and, you know, from your, your podcast makes this evident now that there's so many people, there's so many voices in the, in this world, not enough, but there's a bunch. And I really, you know, since Isabel was my kind of gateway into that, I just thought it was just her. And 
that's why I think I wanted to to talk about it so much. And and I'm so glad I did. And yeah, you, I've learned so many things, but I remember like saying it to you and being like, oh, she's probably not going to know, but you did know. And you mm-hmm. were like, oh yeah, health at every size. Oh yeah. And I was like, oh, it's not just Isabel. Other people talk about this. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting too, because I didn't actually know Isabel's work at the time. I knew health at every size through the eating disorder world because going to eating disorder conferences and reading journal articles and stuff, it comes up and it's like in the recovery space, it's considered like best practices for helping people recover is to like do it through a health at every size model. But I hadn't heard anybody like our generation talking about it really. And I hadn't heard anybody like popularize it before Isabel. So I feel like that was helpful to me in sort of getting to this next place in my career where I could also popularize it and be a younger generation person talking about it and spreading the word. And it wasn't just like an academic thing that was over to the side. And also like, I think even though I had heard about it through the eating disorder recovery world, I wasn't 100% steeped in it yet. I sort of thought, okay, that's something you apply and select cases for people who are recovering, not necessarily a philosophy that you use for everyone. Yeah. And I think at the time I still had some clients who came in the door for weight loss and I wasn't like, cool, great, we'll help you lose weight. I was like, well, let's see what your body wants to do. But I was definitely kind of colluding with their dieting mind still. And I still had weight management on my website and stuff. So I wasn't, I hadn't totally seen the light yet. Like I had (laughs) heard about health at every size and I was like applying it in certain cases, but I wasn't a hundred percent rooted in it yet. So I feel like that episode and talking about Isabel and then talking to Isabel kind of like opened the door for me to become fully rooted in it and to bring it into all aspects of my practice and my podcast. So that was really cool. Yeah. I remember moving forward from that a couple months because that was, we recorded that in, I remember it like it was yesterday <laughs> in early September. And then in between that time, maybe in it coming out or, or it or us talking again, I connected you with Isabel and then Isabel came on your podcast. And I remember listening to that episode and it being like, Oh, like my worlds were colliding. <laughs> like it was like two uh. different worlds colliding. And it was like my two older sisters that had like been so influential to me. And I admired so much like talking to each other and listening into you guys who didn't know each other, who I connected talking for the first time. It was just like, wow, I was learning so much from different perspectives. And like that really her talking to you helped me like further cement Isabel's work and her talking to you helped me further cement your work. And so it was just kind of this like, magical <laughs> experience. I remember where I was listening to that episode. Oh. Like I re- I remember I this might be weird, but I was taking a bath in <laughs> my old apartment and I remember listening to that and like almost savoring it. Like I don't want this one to end because it was a dream. Like favorite podcast, favorite guest, you know, at the time I had really made her so special and she's amazing. She's great, but mm-hmm. you know, now I know there's again many more more voices, but she was the gateway. And it really was, was such a good episode. And you really pulled out of Isabel, you know, she was, it has been, and was very honest about her story and her background. 
But she was more vulnerable and more unfiltered and more honest in that interview with you because that was, and, and still is to an extent, like the format of your show was to get, you know, super real about your relationship to food growing up and, and hearing that from her and, you know, what, how she, you know, really struggled with this stuff was also really impactful for me as a follower of her work to be like, wow, she really was where I am now and worse, you know, and look at how she's really let go of this stuff. There's a chance for me, you know, whereas it's difficult to look at someone who hasn't struggled with it and is just thinking it's always been easy for them or, yeah, it hasn't always been easy for them, but not till to the level that it's so challenging for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Seeing someone who's gone through something seemingly like less severe or just sort of different enough from your own experience that you can be like, well, that doesn't apply to me. I think yeah. is a common thing with eating disorders too. I feel like people definitely, and I certainly did this myself too, like dismiss the possibility of recovery for them or the possibility of, you know, body acceptance or whatever it is for them, because it's like, well, that's fine and good for those people over there, but that's not me. Yeah, exactly. So she was, yeah, kind of like a voice of, no, you can actually get there. And it was really bad for me too. And here's my story, which, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's something that's one reason that I still always do the like relationship with food growing up when talking to people because I feel like the podcast goes so many different directions now but that is still so important for I think understanding that we're not alone and that we all have these you know or so many of us have had these struggles and that it is possible to fully recover. Yeah, and it's not about I'm so glad that you do because it's not about sometimes hearing that stuff is not healthy to hear and can give people ideas. And I would like to actually ask you about this, what you think about eating disorder memoirs, because I went through a period in time where I was obsessed with them (laughs) and I was like reading a bunch. And I actually talked about this. Melissa A. Fabello came on to my podcast. We talked about eating disorder memoirs there, but you know, I think that they can be so detrimental I'm sure, and I, again, would love your professional opinion on this, but that's just my, you know, like lay opinion of this is like, for me, I remember I was reading, I don't even want to call it out, but Portia Ellen's wife's eating uh-huh. disorder memoir, do not recommend. Do not. Uh, yeah. Don't go there. <laughs> but I was, I was reading it and then I was like, I have to press on. I have to finish. I have to like keep, just keep going because then she's going to, it's going to get to the part where she talks about like where everything's great and amazing. And then I finally was just like, wait, this is so taking me out and like in a really bad way, like taking me to a time when I wasn't as healthy as I am now because I'm learning, I'm learning about what it was like. And I relate to everything she's saying, which again, makes me feel less alone, but not in a good way. This is really too dark. Yeah. And I think there's a way to like, have entertainment and have, you know, like I like dark comedy and dark storylines and dramas. And I I like entertainment in that way. But I think when it's so close to home, it can be a challenge. But I do think when it comes to your podcast, feeling less alone and feeling like these people that have authority or have opinions in this sort of area, it's so important to first relate to them. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like 
eating disorder memoirs or like people talking about their stories can be so triggering and so unhelpful sometimes. And it's really kind of a matter like, and for me, it's evolved over time, how I do it and how I present it in the podcast. Cause I definitely have like over the years gone back to some of my early episodes and taken out parts that I thought were just too triggering that I didn't even recognize at the time to be so triggering because I think, you know, coming from a background as a journalist and I think, a lot of the people who edit eating disorder memoirs are also in the background of publishing and editorial and not so much in this health field where they are concerned about like potential triggers and things that could set people back. And from a journalistic perspective, it's like, ooh, what are the gory details? <laughs> What's yeah. a way to paint the picture of how bad it was, right? Mm-hmm. Storytelling and the dark stuff and the, you know, sordid stuff really makes for a good story or so we think. Yeah. And I just think that it is so much more harmful than it is good. I feel like it, do- it does a lot more harm than good yeah. to read those memoirs, unfortunately. There was a great uh, kind of like meta eating disorder memoir written a few years ago called How to Disappear Completely that I think yeah. does a really great job of calling all this stuff out and showing like how, you know, the author talks about how she was a teenager struggling with anorexia and she got a hold of some of these memoirs and basically used them as a how-to manual of like how to be a good a good enough person with an eating disorder, you know, how to make your eating yeah. disorder the best it can be, which, you know, you've got to be in a really dark place already, of course, to take it that way. But like, I think that people who don't, who haven't gone through it or people who just aren't hip to how it affects how it affects people can sort of see it. And, you know, even when I started the podcast, I sort of saw it as like, well, this is a helpful detail for anyone listening who wants to know if they're disordered or not or something like that, you mm-hmm. know, or for or for people to like look out for in others. But actually, it's not even really useful for that, you know? Like, I think that if you're someone who's already struggling, like you're not necessarily going to see that detail in yourself and be like, oh my God, this means I'm disordered. You're probably going to be like, oh my God, I should try that. That sounds like a good idea, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Well, I feel like it depends on where you are because I listened to your podcast in those early days and I do have to say it, I think I was recovered enough where I was able to look at the way I was eating and being and realize, oh, I'm recovering, you know, like I'm still, it did have that effect on me of being like, oh, I'm, it shined the light on me not being as recovered as I could be, you know, because I think having you being a professional to kind of say like, wow, that is still pretty disordered were things that I might've just been like living in such a diet culture. If you aren't steeped in this world that we're into with body positivity and all of these things, if you don't know that, it's very easy to just be like, oh, I'm not disordered. This is just how we are. This is how my mom was. This is how my grandma was. This is how all my friends eat. There's nothing wrong here. you know. So I think it is good to hear some of those details in that way, but it's such a slippery slope. And, you know, I've shared this with you as friends and like I've, and I've shared it on my podcast too. I, I've messed up a lot of times and, you know, the the storytelling ask my podcast isn't about body image specifically, but it's something I always ask my guests about because I think it should be talked about more. And I've messed up in the podcast of, you know, because of my story, I happen to have not exclusively, but a lot of 
well, and just because of the world that we live in, most people are disordered with food, unfortunately. But I have a lot of people who either have had eating disorders or are in recovering or somewhere within that now. And I've had, in the sense of storytelling, I've had triggering things come up and not even realized it and had to go back and edit it later and say, I'm sorry. And I think, yeah, it's a slippery slope as a storyteller wanting to be honest and real and just tell this person's story and hope that, you know, people are going to be fine with listening to it. And also the responsibility of the person making the content to take away any possible trigger. Yeah. It is. It's tough. And I think that's right that like in our society today, it's hard to even recognize triggers sometimes. And yeah. so, I mean, I I definitely feel like a couple years from now when I listen back to the podcast now, I'm sure I'll still find some things and I'm like, ooh, I wish I had said that differently, you know, because yeah. I think we're always evolving and that's a good thing, right? Like we learn yeah. from our mistakes. So, you know, I think it's not a bad thing that sometimes that stuff comes up and you have to go back and deal with it. Like I've certainly re-edited or put trigger warnings on past episodes and kind of feel like I had like a moment of shame with that at one point or another being like, oh shit, I really screwed up there. And I wanted to sort of bury it almost. Mm -hmm. I didn't do this for this reason, but now my whole first season is only premium content. Like you can't get it just by, you can't get it for free anymore. You have to sign up for a premium membership. And like part of why I did that is because it's so different from the rest of the content. I think like it's a sort of time capsule in a way of like how the podcast started and it was a slightly different format and kind of talking to different types of guests. But also there was a part of me that was like, and I can like section this off and make it not available to like trigger anyone. And I yeah. since went back and edited all the content to like be as trigger free as possible. But I feel like there is always this feeling of you know, some amount of shame about where we've been. But I think increasingly now with everybody's lives on the internet all the time, it's that's a reality we have to all face, right? I think yeah. people are going to have, you know, they're going to come across something you wrote years ago and it's going to be different than who you are now, but that's okay. Like we're all always evolving, you know? Oh yeah. And I, I mean, for me, I, I think of this all the time. Like I am growing up on the internet and I think we change so rapidly with with, it, with any phase of our lives, but especially the, the time that I've been on the internet especially has been from college to now. And right now when we're talking, I'm 26 years old. And the last six years or the last five years, I've been on the internet talking about my life. And I've had this pod, I've had my podcast since 2000, we started our podcast at the same time. And so it's it's really the same sort of thing where I cringe at those early episodes. I haven't gone back to listen to them, but I know I was, it's so funny because I, even who I'm interviewing, you can see now I mostly talk to comedians and actors, but I also talk to authors and, you know, self-helpy people and, you know, it's a really diverse group and I want it to be, you know, even more diverse and making like a concerted effort for that. However, when I started, it was like all health coaches and dietitians and like, and I was asking questions like, what exactly do you eat and how much? And, you know, what do you like? And, and it was so clear where I was coming from and how, what my perspective was just from what I was asking. And, and it was so clear that like, that was all I cared about, you know, my, and mine has really changed. I've completely changed the name of mine and, and all of these things because 
I was so focused on wellness that I didn't really care about anything else. And I didn't, you know, and you helped me with this so much, Christy, of like getting hobbies and interests outside of what I thought my hobbies and interests were, which at the time was the wellness world. And at the time was, you know, health and wellness when it was like, oh no, I was just into that because I, I had an eating disorder, you know, Mm -hmm. like really I'm into all sorts of different things and all sorts of different people and all sorts of culture. But I was so steeped in that, that I couldn't see it. And, and this is something that I talk about. It comes up in conversation for me a lot. It comes up in, because I am still in that wellness world a little bit, just because of kind of how I started. And, and, you know, I just, as a person who in my formative years, like was really into that stuff, I still tend to like it, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I, I like a green juice as much as the next guy, but I'm not dogmatic about it now. Yeah. You know, that's, the difference. But I think like the, the thing that comes up quite a bit for me, which is something you taught me that we talked about in who knows one of the multiple episodes on my podcast or yours or who knows, but we talked about the concept of, and this being a a theme and a pattern that you've seen and that I for sure seen, and I lived and you lived, which is that when your career is in this malleable place and you have an eating disorder or your relationship with food is disordered, you might become a dietitian or a chef or have a podcast Mm -hmm. about wellness, you know, like, (laughs) or, you know, end up working for like a healthy company that like makes healthy food or maybe you'll work for who knows. And like, it could change the entire trajectory of your life and, and you're not doing the thing that you thought you wanted to do. Like it happened for you. You worked in food. It happened for me. I work in food. Like it's just so interesting how these things can happen all because of where we were mentally. Totally. I know it is so fascinating how that shapes the course of our lives. And I was actually thinking as you were talking, I wanted to ask you about like the sort of almost like switching places we did in terms of what our podcasts cover and the sort of, because, you know, when I started, I was talking to a lot of comedians and actors and stuff too. And I thought my niche was going to be talking to like funny people about food. That was sort of how I envisioned it to myself. And then over time, it sort of got away from that. I think in part because maybe this is like the next phase of my career is sort of evolving away from having the podcast be a hobby. And like when I first started it, it was just like this side project I did and I loved it. And I was doing a lot of improv and hanging out with comedians. And so it was sort of a natural fit to have it fit in with that. But now it's like become part of my job. You know, it's become part of like my work and my brand. And like, this is what I do for a living and sort of my public persona, but my private life is not crossing over as much with the podcast. Like I'm still hanging out with comedians and actors and stuff, but I'm not feeling like those two are colliding as much because I don't know why. I mean, I guess in part just because it was like I was getting pulled in a certain direction, asked to do certain things. And I just felt like Every time like Isabel would come on the podcast, it would be like the highest downloads ever, <laughs> of the, you know, of the podcast up to that point. And so I was like, okay, clearly talking about this is resonating with people. Mm-hmm. And I sort of followed that. But I, I definitely feel like I got away from having the other aspects of my life be so present in the podcast and present in like, I, I sort of was like, I just made a choice, you know, that my career was going to go in that direction. But 
I feel like for you, you're kind of like making this other choice and taking this road less traveled or the road that I didn't travel, which is just fascinating to me about like actually making your podcast and your career more about like culture and, you know, diff- like things other than just food and body and wellness and bringing that into it, certainly, but having your brand be more of a lifestyle brand, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, I think for me too, I've gone through so many phases in, in my life of like, I think I, and I've talked to you about this, but I, and you know this too, and, and I'm sure this comes up on on the podcast often that, you know, we transfer addictions. Like, you know, I kind of transferred my relationship with food stuff to work. And I thought, you know, I had, I went through a phase of like, why am I not an entrepreneur yesterday? But I was like, basically a child and had no idea how to do that and didn't know if I even really wanted to. And then now how I feel is it, it where you were saying it is just a hobby. You know, I have a full-time job. I have a day job. I do everything that I do on the side. And for that reason, and who knows, maybe it will make money someday and or enough money to consistently support me. I hope it does. You know, feel free <laughs> to sponsor anyone listening. Yeah, seriously. But the the point is that like, I really approach this now as a window or you can see through who I'm interviewing and what I'm talking about, where I'm at in my life. And because I am the curator of my show and, you know, right now it, I'm, you know, you inspired me to get into improv. You inspired me to get into comedy and listen to comedy podcasts. You turned me on to all the podcasts I listen to now. and because that's what I like. And that's what I like listening to my podcast. Now I talk a lot about relationships and I talk a lot about all sorts of things, but I still bleed in food and body image because it's something that's always going to fascinate me. But the the content, the people that I'm curating, you know, I think it's a good mix. I think I am going to talk about two people in body image and people who are intuitive eaters and, you know, people in that for sure always. But I also am going to talk to, you know, just whoever's fascinating me at that moment in time. And, you know, four years ago, it was all health coaches. And, you know, a little bit after that, for a while, it was all intuitive eating and body image people. And it was Isabel and it was Linda Bacon and it was you and it was all all people in, in that world. And that was great. And, you know, now I kind of sprinkle them in, but they're in between, like we were saying before, comedians and actors and, you know, writers and all sorts of different people, my friends, like I'm talking and it, which is also something that you were doing a lot. Like now I'm having on a lot of my non-internet exclusive friends, people that I've known forever. And I like doing that. It's it, to me, it's become a storytelling podcast of, you know, these are the people that I'm having on. And, and the thing with that is that that means that there might be some more triggers because I'm not interviewing exclusively intuitive eaters or exclusively body image experts. And, and I think too, with, with yours, like there's a lot in that, in the entertainment industry for sure. And and just in general in life, there's a fashion, all of it. There's a lot that's like a sea of eating disorders, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff there. And so I have found that, you know, sometimes I ask these questions about body image and and food to these people who are so successful in their lives and their careers. But in those areas, I'm kind of like, what are they going to say here? God, I hope they're naturally normal eaters. And sometimes they are. And sometimes they say something that's kind of triggering. And I have to, 
like I just recorded an episode. It hasn't aired yet, but the person I was talking to was like really in it with body image stuff and, and weird food stuff. But she so understands intuitive eating and she so wants to be done with this and is so like, you know, working with someone and working with a therapist. And she's such a creative person. She's a musician. And she's so wanting to change, but she was, you know, she used some numbers and I was fine with it. I like let it go in the interview, but I just am going to take the stance that you do, which I'm copying from you of like, I'm going to edit that part out. I'm going to bleep that Mm -hmm. out. Not because I'm at a place where I can hear it and be like, okay, I get that, whatever. But for other people to hear that, I know, you know, a year ago, I probably couldn't have heard it or, you know, two years ago or or whatever. So I'm going to take that and and be able to edit that out. And there's been other times where I like this moment, I understand. And I know I'm going to do that. But like we were saying before, there's been other moments where I haven't even realized that something might be not great. And I didn't even think to edit it out. So it goes back to what we were saying before about, you know, you have to just do your best with that as, as a curator and in life about kind of what, if you don't have a podcast, like what you share, like what you share with your friends or with your family about how you used to be or how you are now, because you never know who's looking to you as inspiration or what you share on social media, you know, like about maybe are you only posting your salads, you know, or like, because you're afraid of like, what is someone going to, I, you know, I, this is actually a good thing to talk about. I find this a lot with people that they feel so comfortable posting about, they put themselves in these boxes of, of posting, you know, their, their pretty acai bowls and their salads and all of that. But then, and I, I, and then this sticks out to me because I used to do this as well, but then, and, but they are healthy and they are normal eaters. They do, you know, have the the cookie from time to time and, or all the time and they do it. They're, you know, really good with quote unquote good with the way that they're, you know, balancing the way that they live and eat and. Yeah. It's not just all acai bowls. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Pasta in there and stuff too. Exactly. I hope my language (laughs) is like, okay with this. But the, the point is they're like very much only focusing on like these healthy things that they're posting, even though they're not eating that way, just because they feel like they've put themselves into this box where the reality of social media is that we all kind of are creating a a personal brand for ourselves, I guess, which I kind of cringe with that term now, but yeah, (laughs) I know what you mean, but we're all, we're all doing it. But I find that people are like, oh yeah, well I do eat pasta and I do eat popcorn and I do eat cookies, but I'm not going to post that because that's like off brand. And it's like, well, there are people looking for, and they might not even just say that in so many words, but that's just like what I find people doing because I do, I find I have to do that for myself sometimes. And I used to have to do it a lot more, but it's like, you know, it's about, it's actually important to post that balance of all of the different things because you, again, you never really know who's looking at you. And I'll find that just in my life of like, and we've talked about this before too, where someone's like, Oh, but you, you ate that yesterday, but you're not eating that today. Like people are just watching you and people like, you know, I was at this, this thing this week with a meeting of people who have known me for years and I was just, you know, eating normally doing my thing. And I, I felt like I had, it kind of brought me back to a, an earlier place because I felt like I had so many eyes on me of like, Oh, what's she eating this time? You know, like it changes all the time. Like what she, and that's okay. That's, that's where that I understand how they are because I've 
done that to myself because I have been in so many different states of mind when I've seen these people because I only see them about once a year. And it was an interesting experience for me to just be like, it's fine. Like, it's fine that they're seeing this. And it might be, it's just jarring for people when you change the way that you eat or have to how it has been in the past. And, and some people feel the pressure to like stick to that on social media, you know? Totally. Yeah. They feel like if they've created this brand or identity for themselves around a particular style of eating, then it's like off message or it's going to raise some eyebrows if they don't, which like, unfortunately, I think if you've staked out a position for yourself like that online or in real life, it does cause people to sort of pause and be like, oh, what's that? You know, why are you doing this differently now? Which like, I think when you're really in it and you're really disordered and sort of hanging your identity on your healthy, quote unquote, healthy eater perception, that can feel like a huge barrier to change. Mm -hmm. But I think if you, you know, like seeing it now from the distance that I have, I'm sort of like, oh, right. Like people did that to me a lot when I, cause I was back and forth, gluten-free, not gluten-free, gluten-free, not gluten-free for years in my eating disorder days. And people would always ask like, oh, are you doing gluten now? <laughs> you know, and it was mm-hmm. sort of an effort to like accommodate me most of the time or yeah. sometimes just curiosity. And sometimes it was people who were disordered themselves and wanted to know. But, you know, I can see now it's like, okay, well, it wasn't actually a big deal. It didn't kill me to be like, no, I'm eating everything now and it's fine. Eventually people just moved on. Like it wasn't news anymore, you know? So I think it's yeah. it's kind of helpful to see that like, you know, if anyone's listening who is struggling with that and is like, but if I change the way I eat, then I lose this identity. It's like, it feels so important in the moment, but actually once you do drop it and let go, really nothing bad happens. It might be uncomfortable at first, but nothing bad happens and people just move on. If anything, what happens is you get cooler. Like I think (laughs) you're a cooler person. Yeah. You know, maybe that's subjective, but like, I think that your identity will make you there's nothing more cool than being chill. Like with you, ha- like I used to have zero chill around food and body image and everything. And now just having some chill is like the coolest thing. And look at it that way. Like maybe we should rebrand intuitive eating to just like chill eating, you mm. know, like I'm just a chill eater. I and, like, love I- that. Yeah. Cause intuitive eating. Yeah. It's like, it's really a cool way to be. It's yeah. letting yourself just enjoy life. And I think there is value to that. No, no, you know, like other people notice that and think it's cool. I think because it's modeling that that's okay for everyone. Right. And we all want, we all want like affirmation and acceptance and to know that what we're doing is okay. And so I think if we see someone else doing it, that we admire or feel like, okay, that person's like not a pariah and they're doing this, they're being pretty chill around food and actually their life seems to be going pretty well. I think it it really helps, you know, it helps other people keep from staying in this disordered mindset. And on the flip side, it's like if you see someone you really admire on Instagram or with a cookbook or a TV show or whatever being like, and I never eat this, this or this, it can also keep you stuck because it's like, oh, well that's how to be, you know, it, it's role modeling. It's it's making it's glorifying that way of eating. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting thing because I feel like I hope I can articulate this well what I'm what I'm trying to say, but I don't know, just basically like I 
went through a phase and, and we've talked about this before. I thought dieting was so uncool. Like <laughs> I would never, never say that I was a dieter, but to be really into healthy eating and to, into wellness, like that to me was cool. So that's how I hid my dieting and I hid my disorder was through being really healthy, which, you know, again, episode 34, you'll get all the details about this. <laughs> but then what I realize now or what, you know, my opinion is now is that even though our society has gone, you know, through this health movement and there's, you know, all of this like trendiness around health and wellness, which, you know, there's good things to that. There's bad things to that, I would argue. And I, and I think a lot of people listening would probably agree. There's a lot more negative things to that when it comes to body image and weight stigma. There's a lot more negatives that come from that. But I will say that I think what's happening now, because that has become so overly trendy at this point, and it's just increasingly so in my communities or in, in, you know, the people my age, it's uncool to be, Oh, like the, it's, it's like almost too normalized. It's almost like a joke of like, Oh yeah. Okay. Another, another green juice or it's like, it's cool to just be chill. This is the point. Like being an intuitive eater is genuinely not that it matters what is trendy and cool in society, but like nobody wants to be the person who makes a big deal at the table and nobody wants to be around. It's, it's so much easier to travel and to live your life and to date and to do all of these things when you can be calm and you can be peaceful about where you're going and what you're doing and knowing that you're going to be okay if you eat something that's, you know, not what you usually eat or not what you, you know, even wanted to eat or whatever, like you're going to be okay. And then also knowing like what the combination is that works well for you of being like, well, I know that this, I always feel better when I eat this or I, you know, this makes me feel this way. Like, I think as you get older, you just kind of learn some of those things and you're like, oh yeah, well, sometimes I'm going to eat that and it doesn't make me feel great and that's fine. But this always makes me feel good. And like, just knowing that combination is okay too. And I think it's about like finding all of that balance in your, in your mind, which is, is just, you know, it's kind of growing up and teaching yourself how to feed yourself, which I didn't know. And I've learned in these last, and I'm still learning to be honest, like, to be very honest, like I'm still learning all of this and, and I probably will be for a while, but you know, I think your twenties and some people do it in college. Some people, it takes them longer are about learning. And who knows if you've been dieting for a long time, this could be well into your, you know, hopefully not until you're dying, you know, really. But we're learning our bodies. And the other thing is that our bodies are always changing. So it's right. like we're constantly learning how to feed ourselves. Yeah, for sure. At different stages of life, how we feed ourselves might look different. And kind of relearning your body as you age and move forward in time is part of the process. So yeah, it is constantly evolving. But I think that's so it's so great what you said about the chillness about food, just making it possible to do everything else in life and have such a richer life for it. And like, it's cool that, you know, there is a backlash brewing. There's a backlash already happening against clean eating and orthorexia and these, you know, rigid styles of eating that masquerade as not diets, but actually are diets, you know? There's a backlash against that happening because people are seeing it for what it is as like something that constrains you and makes you less, you know, flexible and free and able to do what you really want to do. And yeah, it's like life is really about so much more than that, so much more than eating and wellness. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I learned that the hard way. And I think a lot of people are. And, you know, and I think it's okay to learn that the hard way, you know, like, yeah, you know, that's okay, too. Like, maybe you do have to get in it for a second to get out of it. Hopefully, this podcast, like Christie's can prevent that for people. And, you know, I, and I wonder about the younger generation, like the generation under me of like, how I think they just are chill, intuitive eaters. I, I think, I hope, I don't know. I mean, of course there's, there's not, but I feel like there's a little bit more of the, you know, wanting to enjoy food and enjoy life, but who knows, maybe, maybe by the time they get older, the, the body image stuff will, will get them too. I, I really hope yeah. not, but. And the diet industry keeps morphing too. It keeps finding new ways of selling us something to feel bad about and then yeah. products to fix it. So it's important to stay vigilant about that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it really is because I think we talked about this, which was, you know, a watershed moment for me in our live episode, which maybe we can link in the show notes too. We did a swap cast almost a year ago as well. And this came up there because we were those Oprah ads for Weight Watchers had just launched, I think, back then. Mm -hmm. And we were saying how sad it is that the diet industry is not only, you know, before they were kind of using wellness as in health and those things as a facade for dieting, but even worse, now they're starting to use body image and they're starting to use, you know, intuitive eating as a facade for dieting. And that's so scary to me. And because if that gets too intertwined, what, what are, what are your kind of thoughts on, on that now? Is that, are you seeing that more and more? Yeah, absolutely. There's so much co-opting going on. And I think it's, there's kind of two camps, I guess, of like people and companies that are doing the co-opting. I think one camp is like, they genuinely don't understand what they're doing and they're kind of just responding to what they think demand is. And, you know, I've talked to a number of like health coaches and fellow wellness professionals who reach out to me for the podcast and say like, I want to be a guest on your podcast. And then I'll look at their stuff and be like, this is still rooted in the diet mentality. And for some people I have told them that, like I have said, you know, it looks like you're kind of on the fence, you know, like you're not, you're still selling weight loss. What's that about? And some of those folks have been like, oh my God, I genuinely didn't think that was a problem and have kind of used that as a moment to self-reflect and change their messaging to be more consistent. And so that's like, exciting That's to see great. because yeah it's sort of I mean it's a bold move on my part to say anything because I feel like my instinct as a people pleaser and someone who doesn't want to rock the boat is just like just tell them we're booked up and don't say anything but I think it is maybe I have this responsibility because I have somewhat of a platform to be able to like assess and recommend things to people that I can use and it actually might make a difference. So I think anyone who does have that, whatever kind of aspect of life that's in, if you have a podcast of your own or a blog or a, you know, in charge of a magazine or something, or if you just have influence with a particular friend group or someone really respects your opinion and is like doing something like that in their business or their online presence or something, like maybe say something. Yeah. You know, in some cases it actually helps. But there's the other camp, I think, of people who are co-opting diet language who, maybe there's three camps actually, I don't know, because one I think is like people who are really disordered and in it and just don't see it. And then companies or manufacturers or whatever that 
kind of know what they're doing and are using the language of body positivity to sell something that is actually a diet and they pretty much know full well that's what they're doing. And those cases, I think, are a lot harder to push back against. But in that case, maybe some vigilance and some personal boundaries are helpful because I think it's easy if you're, especially if it's like a friend or someone you know on Facebook or something like that, like if they're sharing a bunch of beach body crap or whatever, oh, like yeah. I maybe I'll bleep out the particular name, but multi-level marketing kind of wellness stuff or they're sharing their journey, their like clean eating fitness. thing or their fitness yeah, thing yeah, or yeah. their weight loss thing or their 30-day challenge or whatever. I see those all the time. Yeah. And it's hard not to get sucked in when you're vulnerable, you know, when you're in a place where that could trigger you to try something, be like, oh, maybe that's what I should do. I think it's it's helpful there to just have personal boundaries and kind of like put on your investigative reporter's hat almost whenever you come across anything like that, especially if it's masquerading as like, oh, this is me being an intuitive eater. Like someone in my online course, we have a private Facebook group and someone shared recently that they follow a bunch of intuitive eating people on Instagram who are always posting like pictures of their zoodles and their green drinks and their smoothie bowls and stuff like that. And my first instinct when I heard about that was like, that seems like intuitive eating in disguise. Or I mean, that seems like a diet, you know, a diet yeah. in disguise that's using intuitive eating. And, you know, who knows? Maybe they're the folks that are that are having pasta and coffee and whatever, like outside of that. And all that they're posting is those wellnessy looking things because that's what they think they should be doing. And that's what's kind of trendy. Like that those yeah. look pretty, you know? Right. They do. They're colorful. They're yeah. They're like pretty in an in- the Instagram experience on health food is really great. <laughs> yep. Those colors pop in a way that, you yeah. know, if you had a plate of pasta with Parmesan cheese and olive oil, like that's just not gonna look as gorgeous on a feed, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I get it. But I think it's just important to kind of keep your personal boundaries with that stuff and not get immediately sucked in, but like ask yourself, what is this person trying to sell me? Or what is this company trying to sell me? How are they maybe co-opting language of intuitive eating and making it seem like what they're doing is in line with intuitive eating or body positivity, but actually it's not? I mean, I think as people go on in the intuitive eating journey, they get more and more in touch with their intuition in other areas of life. So like if alarm bells are going off for you when you see something, listen to that. Like that might be a sign that there is something triggering happening and that you might need to step away from it or not listen to what that person is saying. Yeah. And I think going back to what you said before about those people posting the doodles and the, you know, healthy food under the guise of it being intuitive eating. I think that makes sense too, because like I was saying before, they're doing that maybe to be like, oh, I'm not just, you know, a vanilla generic healthy person. I'm an intuitive eater. This is just what I'm intuiting right now. Right, like, right. Always, you know, so it's just kind of like, you can take that with a grain of salt too. It's like, oh yeah, maybe they really are, but they're just like trying to make their Instagram experience really pretty. And it's like, okay, but they have to, as a public person, like I, I don't really post food at all. You know, I will here and there maybe, but like I've just chosen not to do that because it's, it's a, not that interesting. And B like, I don't want to confuse people or I don't Mm want to like, you know, put, anything out there of like, if I'm going to post one thing, 
then I should be posting everything almost just to give people a clear sample of what it's really like. And, and that's danger with social media. And anyway, so I think just knowing that, again, this is a random sample and, you know, I think that is one thing I will say about the younger generation. Like they are really vulnerable and real on social media in a way that we're not like they're posting photos of their pimples and they're posting photos of like things that we traditionally would hide, but in, because they grew up with Snapchat and they grew up with things that go away quickly and they, and that's why, like, I think that's a, this is a whole different conversation, but like, I think Snapchat is such a valuable social media because it totally is different. It, it allows for this total different way of communication that we just don't have in in life and making it so precious and about the feed. And I just think that if you kind of take a younger, it's not millennials, whatever that generation is called, take their approach. I mean, they know everything. Like they've got it with race. They've got it yeah. with like everything. They They're just so like, woke. Yeah. Look to them for everything, especially social media. And, and I think it, it's kind of the same thing of like, do it as a political statement of like, you know, I, I just had a, a whole Instagram story the other, I was like, kind of, being funny, hopefully, but about like, I had this huge pimple and this is what was happening with it. And like, it was like, kind of funny, you know, but it was like, it did feel vulnerable. Like it did feel vulnerable to be like, yeah, this is, I'm on my period and like my skin's broken out and this is what's happening with that, you know? But I think it is good because the rest of my pictures are all like right when I got my hair cut and like me, you know, on new year's Eve when I'm like looking my best. I think if you take that approach of like, I'm going to do this as a political statement or I'm going to do this to really go against the patriarchy or against, you know, that's something I learned from you and Isabel as well of like getting angry about this stuff and looking at this from a feminist perspective and from a sociological perspective and getting angry has been one of my biggest tools in being part of this movement of like, wait a minute, that's crazy that we live in this fat phobic society. And that's crazy that there's so much discrimination against fat people. And that's crazy that people are discriminated every single day on the basis of size and weight. And really like using that as a jumping off point of like, this is not, I don't want to be a part of this. And that was huge for me and is huge for me. And so I think in your social media, if you can kind of be like, okay, I'm going to use this as a political statement. And also it's, it's funny. You know, like it makes me unique to, to post something like you can always make it a joke of like, here's my cupcake. Hope you're hope you're gluten free. Like you can make <laughs> make it a joke. And like we there's so much heaviness to all of this. It's like I just kind of want us to laugh about it and be like, remember how crazy and weird I was with food? Like, that's so funny. You know, and I know it is really serious and I know it is a really big mental health issue. And of course, I know that more than anyone because I've been in it and I, and I get it. But also at a certain point, I think it's just like as a culture to kind of laugh at the, the craziness that like our grandparents or people who it's such a privileged issue in so many ways too. Like looking at this as like, this is a very privileged issue. There are people who just can't even find food to eat period or just be so confused as to what we're doing. So I think to look at it, like this is crazy what women do to themselves and people do to themselves. And anyway, that any of that made sense. (laughs) Oh my God, completely. I think that's so powerful and valuable to like get angry and and also get a sense of humor about it. Like it's, I think when you're in it, when you're stuck in the disordered mindset or the diet mentality or 
the sort of need to follow the rules, it's so rigid and it feels so like shaming when you don't do it perfectly. And when you do do it perfectly, there's this like sort of good student, like goody goody aspect about it where it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing it properly. And so much pain, of course, too, with eating disorders and disordered eating, like so much pain and anguish on a daily basis that when you're over it and you can break out of that and see the humor in it and see the pain that you were in, but also the sort of insanity of it all and like how society plays a role in that, you know, that I think that like the context of all of it is so helpful because eating disorders make us feel so isolated and dieting makes us feel so isolated. Like I'm the one with a problem. I'm the one who can't control myself around food. I need to get my shit together. You know, that's the Mm -hmm. thought process I think that goes through a lot of people's heads yeah so to feel like actually it's not your problem it's society's problem and look at how messed up this is and look at all these ways that we're pressured to do things that are just unbelievably bad for us and also just silly from a further out perspective like what are these people doing you know what is this madness that we're doing like yeah I think it's really helpful to to reflect on it in that way because it's completely understandable that you're struggling as an individual. You are not alone. You're part of the sort of societal pressures to do this and you're just playing your part as expected and going upstream is hard, but like look at all these people who are able to do it and look at how, you know, it's really not your fault. Like you can accept yourself and be a part of the counterculture. Yeah. And it's fun. It's more, it's cooler. It's like, what I want to say is that the social media that I'm most attracted to that I think is interesting is the kind that's different and the kind that's authentic and the kind that's real. So you could be in the camp of like making everything perfect and, you know, slapping a filter on everything. And I like doing that as much as the next guy sometimes too. But I think being vulnerable and being real People fall in love with that. I do. It's what I'm the kind that I love. The things that really stick out to me are when people do something out of the box and do something different and and are part of the counterculture. And and especially right now, you know, I think with everything going on, like I think it is even more important to talk about these things than ever. I mean, it always Mm -hmm. is, but yeah. No, I think right now the counterculture is more important than ever. And the progressive ideas about bodies and food are, of course, part of this larger thing of like progressive ideas about society in general versus retrograde ideas about society in general, right? And like yeah. keeping sort of traditionally it's been women, but really it's it's oppressing people of all genders too. Diet culture has been used as a tool of oppression against marginalized people for decades. And yeah. You can see it in how the retrograde elements of our political system right now are talking about women's bodies, right? Like the negative comments made about protesters' bodies, you know? What is that if not a silencing technique, right? To make people feel shamed and like they should just go home and stay in their corner and be on a diet and not cause anyone any trouble, right? As opposed to like being out in the streets, taking up space, showing ourselves, showing that we're not okay with this, you know, like it's all related. It's so all related. Showing that body diversity exists. Like Mm -hmm. that's, that is like the biggest thing I think we all need to learn and be okay with is that like, there are different types of bodies and thank God, because life would be so boring if the 
if there weren't, you know, if we all look the same, it'd be so boring. And we're not in a culture that values body diversity and realizing that and trying to change that. And, you know, women have lived for years physically trying to make themselves smaller. And like you said, that's what's manifested in our culture. And now we have to push so hard against that. And it's challenging. And that's why we need to speak up and we need to get louder and we need to have conversations like this. And yeah, I'm glad that we are. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Yeah. I mean, that's been one aspect of all of this stuff that I'm so grateful to body positivity and health at every size and this movement. I'm grateful that I'm a part of this movement at this time in history because it makes me feel like I'm doing something. <laughs> like I'm I'm able mm-hmm. to to have some influence on the direction our society goes maybe in sharing these ideas and helping people understand them and helping people accept themselves so that they can go on and do amazing work in the world and help move society forward instead of staying stuck and moving us backward. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's it's so cool Christy what you're doing and like I just want to congratulate you on the four years of this, because you, this is like the wild, wild west of this stuff. <laughs> like, I forget that this, you know, because this is what they're saying about liberals and, and what happened with with everything and, and not to, you know, open up that can of worms. But like, it's interesting that like, we as a society, it's so easy to live in a bubble and have, and everyone's talking about this now, but like, you know, you get your Netflix curated, you get your Spotify curated, you get every get everything curated. So it's so easy to forget when you go out in the world that, oh, not everyone in my feed is body positive when I'm actually out in the world. Like I had an interesting experience in a coffee shop, just here overhearing people talk about how many calories were in a muffin and all of these like really diety things overhearing this conversation. And I, I literally, because I steep myself so much in my community just like I did, you know, in my liberal community where I was shocked by something else. Same thing here of like, I, it was such a shock for me to hear that. And I felt so sad. And of course it wasn't my place to turn around and like school these people on anything. And it would have probably fallen on deaf ears and it wasn't the time or place, of course, but I wanted to, and it was so jarring to me to be like, Oh, people are still dieting. Like it it, it hit me. Like, of course they are. They're everywhere. They're just not in my feed anymore because I've curated it as this really non-triggering positive place where I follow plus size models and I follow body positive people and feminists. And and so I forget for it, which is terrible, but you know, it was a good wake up call for me to overhear that conversation and be like, Oh wow. Okay. You know, this is, work to be done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's like a place for, you know, I think it's so great to have your social media feed be curated like that just so that you're not constantly bombarded with triggering stuff or stuff that makes you angry or whatever. Right. But then also like, yeah, kind of reaching out into the world or being part of the world and noticing and observing these conversations is important too, because it shows us like how far we still have to go. Yeah. I look at the other health podcasts out there or the other people doing like food writing and health writing and like, yeah, there's still a lot of work to be done here. Yeah. This is really interesting. This conversation that we're having right now, because it really does mirror what's happening politically in our country as well. It's such a, it's such a direct connection that 
I guess I realized, but until this moment didn't exactly realize, I guess it makes me feel a little bit, I always feel like there's so much I should be doing and could be doing and senators I should be calling and all, which is true, Right. but it makes me feel a little bit like, oh, maybe having a teeny conversation is, you know, it's, it's just a drop in the bucket, but at least it's something. Yeah, absolutely. The more we can kind of help people break free from diet culture and learn to not be steeped in these things that are triggering them and keeping them back all the time, like the more empowered people are to make positive change. And so I think it's, I think it has to be helping, you know, I think it's, I mean, it's disturbing and sort of devastating really, I guess is the word I'm looking for that there is still so much out there to the contrary that when you come across it, it's just like disappointing. But I think it's also just a good reminder that we still, we need to keep going. We need to keep talking about this stuff, you know, and keep helping move society forward. Yes. Preach 100%. I'm so grateful for you and everything you've taught me over the last four years since we've been friends and through your podcast and through your friendship. And I'm just so grateful for you. Oh my God. I'm so grateful for you too, Katie. That's like, seriously, it has, has been, you're like my soul sister. I feel like we've, uh-huh. we've influenced each other and been, you know, I'm not super uh, big on like the universe and everything happens for a reason, but I do think there was a reason that we met. And Me too. <laughs> Me too. A little yes. bit of fate there. Yeah. I would argue a lot. <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, I feel like that's a really good note to end on. and. Tell us where people can find you online and learn more about your work and listen to your podcast. I think that was a very like unicorn, everything happens for a reason, magical way to end. Yes. (laughs) Which is like so perfect. (laughs) It feels like rainbows and hugs and sunshine. It does. Which is like very perfect for my brand. (laughs) Yes, yes. But yeah, people can find me online. I'm just, you know, a Google away. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's just my name now. So Katie Dalebow everywhere, my website. And if you sign up for my newsletter list, that's probably like my favorite way I, I communicate now is I, you know, I send this sometimes monthly, sometimes less whenever I feel inspired, I guess I, I just kind of send out this message of, of where I'm at and, and what is happening and what's inspiring me. And when you sign up for that, you get like my Katie's favorite things. And I send you like this, like curated list of, of kind of what I'm into that's awesome. Yeah. And then I'm on all the social media and I have a podcast that Christy's been on. Christy definitely has to come back on. It's called Let It Out, which is also the name of my book, which people can buy, which is about journaling. So yeah, just give me a Google basically. Yep. It all comes up and I'll link to all that in the show notes too. So well, thank you. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you. So lovely talking with you as always. Thank you. Yes. Likewise. So that's our show. Thanks again so much to our guests for being here and to you guys for listening. And we'll be back again next week with another brand new episode. Meanwhile, I'd love to stay in touch. And the best way to do that is via email. So you can go to christyharrison.com slash email to sign up for my VIP list. I'll send you info about new episodes of the podcast as they drop, as well as exclusive sneak previews of new episodes, giveaways and other special deals on the products and services I offer, special tips on how to make peace with food and learn to trust your body, and a whole lot more. Sign up at christyharrison.com slash email. You can also subscribe via iTunes and leave us a nice rating and review, which is a great way to get the word out about the podcast and help other people find these important messages. 
Just go to iTunes from your computer or your podcast app, type in Food Psych to the search bar, click on the result that comes up under podcasts, and then click on ratings and reviews, and you can leave a rating and review right there. And I really appreciate all the five-star reviews and wonderful ratings that we've gotten because it's helped us climb really high right now in the rankings. And that's really cool because we're competing against some of the weight management and body shaming types of messages that I'm trying to fight with this podcast. So we've really started to beat out a lot of the diety voices, and I'd love to continue climbing higher in the rankings to get this message out even further. So please leave us a nice rating and review. It's so very much appreciated. And thanks to everyone who's left reviews so far. The music you're hearing behind me now is by a band called AWOL, and the track is called Food, used under the Creative Commons license. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, stay psyched. Stupid or scared, no work in the kitchen now. Who put you there in that perfect position?